Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce and you're listening to Who the Fuck. And on today's episode, I'm sharing the mic with Aaron Rodgers and Aaron's passion for story Storio. Mm. Storytelling has led her to coach others, helping clients find the best way to connect with themselves and their audiences. And Erin is also the co-founder of a yearly anthology of personal stories from new and emerging writers and a passionate advocate for open conversations about mental health and neurodiversity, which tracks 100% with where I'm at. So I'm super excited to have you on the show, Erin. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Also, I know Storio was a mistake, but I talk about stories in three sections. So I kind of have a passion for Storio. I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. You might have given me a new phrase. So thank you for that one. That's pretty great. It's it's all um, serendipitous when it needs to exactly. be, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, because very much like myself, you have a tremendous appreciation for the art of storytelling. And there are so many different ways for us to share our stories, Mm -hmm. especially now, you know, we think historically so much of that was word of mouth when, you know, I guess when we finally figured out how to talk or communicate with each other, and then, you know, eventually writing these things down, but now we're in such a digital era. And Mm. we've gone, we've really transformed the way stories are told. But there's still, I think, really something beautiful about the simplicity that comes from what the origin of a story is. So I'd love to hear a little bit about why storytelling is so important to you. Um, well, storytelling uh, to not, this is going to seem like an exaggeration, uh, but it saved my life. It changed my life. Uh, I was a person that was kind of wandering through life. I tried a little bit of this, tried a little bit of that. Nothing felt like home. Uh, I did comedy for a lot. I do still do comedy, but I was really devoted. I was going to be a stand up. That was going to be my thing. Yeah, yeah. And I would go to shows and I would tell jokes and I would just end up feeling kind of empty and staring at the wall. And I love stand up and have so much respect for stand ups, but it just didn't feel right. Yeah. And then a friend of mine who was in uh, an improv troupe with me and did stand up, we were an improv troupe of like 10 people. It was ridiculous. <laughs> There was it was barely enough like room on the stage for I'm like us. how did, that seems like pure chaos, but I respect yes. it. hundred percent. We'll just say, you know, that the stock in like Converse high tops went up every time we went on stage. There was That's just hilarious. Um and true. Anyways, um, and uh so she was doing storytelling. And I was at that time attempting to be cool, which I don't know if people will see me in this or we're just doing an audio. Oh, we're putting the video out there. Yeah. This is not like a cool vibe that I have. Like, I'm very happy with who I am. But like, I was so unsuccessful at being cool. People kept thinking I had the flu. Like, but I was like, I'm going to be cool. So I was like, I'll go to the show to be supportive, but I'm going to be at the back because I'm a stand up. I'll be at the back and I'll sneak out when my friend was, is done. And I like, I had a jacket I had over one shoulder because I was bad at being cool. And I was like, <laughs> that'll show that I'm different than like the storytelling people. 
And then I went and the first person started talking and it was like, just, it was like a light from heaven where it's like, why well, do, oh, I can't sing a song because you could get sued, but think of a song that is a love song. And it was just, and it, it was like, oh, this is what I was looking for. Um, it was, you could be funny. Uh, you were always telling the truth. You yeah. could be, there was a little bit more chance to like get into feelings. Uh, you didn't have to like hit punchlines again and again and again. You could get really into thoughts. Uh, I love talking about I'm like I'm a big old queerdo I'm like let's talk about emotions it's a Wednesday let's do it <laughs> yeah I'm like it is a moment in any day where I have I'm awake and I want to be talking about something or thinking yeah. about something uh theoretical philosophical emotional it's really yeah. just I, I appreciate where you're coming from with that because it speaks to me on a visceral level you know and I, one of the things that I love that you just said if you don't mind my interjecting Please. is that you could tell the truth, like you could consistently mm -hmm. tell the truth. And so when I was kind of preparing for the episode, I was thinking to myself, what, based on what I had read and, and kind of seeing the content you've created, my thought was generally speaking, you're probably creating um, fact-based content mm -hmm. um, or truthful content. But I was curious if you ever leaned into the fiction side of storytelling. I do. I, I, so I love all kinds of different storytelling. Like I love, I have a huge bookshelf right over here. Uh, I want to show off, but it's like a mess. So I'm not going to, uh, it's just like, take her word you for just it. Start, you start putting books on books. Cause you're like, oh, I'll read you eventually. Anyways. So I love all kinds of storytelling. I love, uh, cultural teaching storytelling. I love all of that stuff. I have written some fiction it's not very good, uh, but I've, I've worked on it. And I do also feel that a lot of fictional stuff comes from a place of truth and it comes from people's life experience. So I do definitely draw on those skills uh, and will continue when I get good at it. Um, yeah, but it is, there's definitely, I feel like it is the core of so many different art forms is this very simple, as you were saying, you know, when we started to talk, we started to tell each other stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's so beautiful too, to think of it that way. So when I was in college, I had gone to school for filmmaking and I particularly wanted to be a documentary filmmaker mm -hmm. because I wanted to tell people's stories and I wanted to have that authentic element to it. I love the idea of creating movies or maybe commercials because you just kind of have that punchy, quick mm -hmm. thing that you can do with a slogan or, or a jingle or something like that. But what I started to gravitate towards so much was the ability to empathize with people through the art of storytelling. And I was specializing at the time more in the editing side of things. And it was really being able to craft the narrative. Mm. When you have all of the footage, what do you do with that, right? Because you still have to tell the story from whatever it is that you filmed. And so I really understand how valuable that can be. And I I really reignited that within myself when I started the podcast too, because I came into this being like, tell me your story, you know, yeah. and wanting to give people a platform. And so I really admire the way that you think about it and how you were able to pivot from a uh, standup into something that is more uh, aligned to sort of that emotional, uh, psychological side of things that gives you, as you pointed out, the variety too, because mm. I always used to think about being a stand-up comedian. I feel like it's cool to hear how you started there and you have this passion for it and it's still something that you enjoy, but that you found the ability to expand on that. For sure. And it was, the thing is, is like, 
I'm a big believer in callings. I wasn't like I was. If Dude, you're preaching to the choir. 20s, I, I got you. <laughs> yeah. But if you'd met me in my 20s, I'd be like, that sounds like a bunch of like nonsense hocus pokes. I was really fun. I was very charming. <laughs> um, I think about myself sometimes and I was like, why did you have friends? Like what was where I was like, uh, let me tell you a little bit of something about a bit of something like just. Ugh. But I think the thing is, is like stand up the way I've been, I've been seeing it. It wasn't the right one for me. There's so mm -hmm. many brilliant stand and a lot of standups are incredible storytellers and there's oh, a yeah. lot of hybrid ones now. Um, That's my favorite it, kind of comedy, honestly. Like mm -hmm. I would rather have it be sort of the, you don't know if the story is real or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's, and there's so many people like playing with that and doing some really interesting stuff. I got a chance to see uh, Tig Notaro last year, which was the coolest so thing ever. Love her. And she told a story um, about going to a party and saying that she was going to like it was like this famous people party and she was going to play some music. And then she demonstrated how she was playing. And then she just it was just like <laughs> and having that element of it, like you already had a story, but then you had this thing and then you had this bit afterwards. Yeah, totally. I feel like it's you can use it for so many things, mm -hmm. but it is like traditional stand up. I love it. And I still watch a whole bunch of it. I have, uh, I feel like some of my best friends are stand-ups, but like, I, I really have so much respect for that art form, but it wasn't the right fit. And so it was like, in a weird way, I always feel a bit like I'm talking, like I cheated on a partner, but I was so <laughs> passionate about storytelling and then stand like, or sorry, so passionate about uh, stand-up and then storytelling. I was like, oh no, it's you. Oh, sorry, stand up. And like, I don't think stand up was like, oh, no, like I was, <laughs> I was okay. Um, but like with storytelling, I have never been as passionate and involved and loyal to anything or anyone in my life. Sorry, ladies and days, you're wonderful. And please date me, but also probably don't. Hey, you know, as long as they know I what they're getting you. into. Yes, exactly. Just be into storytelling. And it's yeah. gonna be great. If you're a good muse, even better. Exactly, exactly. And you're going to be great. How could you not be? Yeah, right. But um, yeah, it was it was just, it was life-changing. And so many things about myself I would not have discovered without storytelling. Because one, the community was very supportive and that helped me just discover truths about myself. But also when you start telling stories about your life, you start recognizing patterns some of those patterns are maybe very obvious to literally everyone else but me well but you it, know I I feel like we're all probably pretty guilty of that and yeah. I'm not even guilty of it right I, I've done enough therapy to be like don't carry guilt about that mm -hmm. but it you know there is that feeling of I I have so much to say and I have all of this sort of backstory that I want to be able to fill people in on but it can be a a lot Mm -hmm. um but if we don't go there then we yeah. can't sort of uncover those pieces of ourselves that get us to that place where we're finding our passion and we're connecting mm -hmm. with people that really fit the vibe that we're looking for and I think when we hold ourselves back from those things in the interest of sort of doing what's expected or what we initially think is what we should do and then realizing we want to change our minds we just you know we're sacrificing these little parts of ourselves, and you can only do that for so yes. long yes Yes. Before you have no parts left. Mm -hmm, um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I also feel like 
parts of you or the universe or whatever it is will start to be like, buddy, what else do I have to do? Oh my gosh. You know, it's funny that this is the conversation we're having today, Aaron. And I am not even remotely surprised, honestly, because Mm -hmm. a little bit of backstory on me Mm -hmm. that I may cut out just because everybody who's listened has probably heard this 30 times. But so about two and a half years ago, I was exiting a toxic relationship at the same Mm -hmm. time that my mom passed away really suddenly. And Mm -hmm. it was like, the most violent shove into the present moment of like, what are you doing with your fucking life? Like, what are you going to do about it? You know, you've been in this relationship for over a decade. It's not good for you. The amount Mm -hmm. of straws that were, you know, the last one before it was Mm -hmm. finally the last one. And then I got to this place where I was like, you know what? I can't keep putting myself on the back burner. I have to show up for myself. And now I'm sort of at this crossroads again right now where I thought I was leaving tech. I went back part-time and then I, I've been working there and I don't know if my contract's going to be renewed at the end of this month. And I'm like, I don't have the same existential panic I used to have. Mm. And I think it's because the reality is, is I used to think I hated my job because I hated the companies I was working for and the way I was being treated there. But now I'm working for a place where I like the people and I like the company and I still don't want to do this because I'm not passionate about it. And Mm. so, you know, I think to your point, it's like, if I don't have that guarantee then I have no choice but to figure out what it is that I'm going to do for myself. And it sounds like you were a little bit in that position um, in in your own life as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's a couple of times where I've been like, I don't know what my belief system is, but I'm just like, are you serious right now? Yeah. Where it is. And uh, a friend of mine described uh, my life and especially changes in my life happening in log lines, like how you would describe a movie. So I... uh, broke my ankle several years ago, like right before COVID. Uh, It was October. I was in a real workaholic spiral. I was just like, if I just keep going, all I have to do is keep going. That's also, by the way, the worst thing we can tell ourselves. We're like, if you feel like you're spiraling out and your brain is like, just keep doing it. It's like, that's the moment you need to be like, probably don't keep doing it. Exactly. 100%. 100%. And it was like, I was not taking all the advice I give to other people. No, no, because like, it's, why would you? Exactly. You know, I have a friend of mine uh, who has a small company. Uh, at one point, I was trying to get him to go on vacation. And uh, he was like, well, I can't go on vacation. I am in charge. And he was like, if I owned a factory and I was the person with the key and I wasn't there to open the factory, the factory's not doing anything. And I was like, yeah, well, if you fall asleep and the factory burns down, then you have no factory. Give somebody uh, else. I said that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Give, you got to do something. Got to give. And uh, did I listen to that advice for myself? Of course not. Of course not. Why would no, I do so that? much easier said than done. Yeah. I remember it now. I literally have like a, a sticky note on the wall to remind myself. I love it. What um, does it say? It says, don't let the factory burn down. Because if I say, take care of myself, then it's easier for me to talk myself out of it. But if I say, don't let the factory burn down, I have that image and it's like disappointing something else, then I will take care of myself. I'm going to get to the day where I could be like, cool, good for you, just do it because. But we haven't got there yet, so I got to deal with what I've got right now. I love that it. is a sticky note that says, don't, don't let the factory burn down. I think it's perfect. I'm going to have one of those sticky notes soon. <laughs> it's so helpful. It's so truly helpful because it's just a simple image. And I think 
weirdly enough, that's also a part with storytelling. When I'm figuring out images in stories or working with other people, I suddenly have these images where I'm like, why am I not doing this? Or why have I not learned this lesson that is clear in this story of something that I've happened before? So it is like, I do have quite a few little metaphors around to help me. So I think for me, and probably for a lot of people, I mean, narrative therapy is a type of therapy, having the stories of yourself and the images to keep yourself to know who you are and keep yourself going. Because I also feel like I got told a lot of things about who I was. I had a whole, I had accepted a whole image of who I was, including uh, that I was straight, which is hilarious. (laughs) I've been there. Yeah, it was. Nikki, I went to, I don't know if this is a thing known outside of Canada, but I went to Guelph University, which is like one of the gayest universities you can go to. Adi Jafranco, one of her only tour stops when she was like in the 90s, she would stop in like Guelph, Ontario. It was so gay. And like, I fit in great. I was feeling fantastic. And it did not occur to me. I went on what I didn't realize was dates with people, like all these things. No idea. No idea. That so it was what was like, the turning point for you? Um, the turning point was I had, uh, I was at an event. It went terribly wrong. Um, like terribly, terribly wrong um, to the point where like I had what was a very close relationship seemed to break down at that moment. The person walked away. A friend of mine came up and was like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I was like, uh, it's really awful. So I think I'm gay. And she's like, oh, good. You figured it out. I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean I figured it out? She's like, uh, nothing. Tap, 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 hug. We're okay. Yeah. So it was. It was like my brain had just been waiting. It's like there was like a very cool voice in the back of my brain all in rainbows waiting and like had been yelling and then just gave up and one day everything else went quiet and out out it came yeah and I was just like oh like yeah it was how I didn't know when I look back is truly one of the most hilarious things because I would like just the amount of times uh, like I, you know, I didn't realize women were hitting on me. Yeah. Um, the amount of like the like borderline stereotype things, like how I was like, I don't understand how people don't lo- know how amazing the indigo girls are. Like it was just, just ridiculous. And they're great. And they're great. And that didn't get any less, but it was just so many things. Like I went to the gayest university and did not realize that I was gay. That's I hilarious. It's just, yes. And various people, I found it afterwards. Like there was a woman that I hadn't remembered and she was like, oh yeah, I was really sorry that our date didn't work out. I was like, our what? You're like, it was a date. Oh, that explains a lot. Oh, that's too funny. Well, so, you know, as you describe sort of that journey that you've gone on both professionally and personally, Mm -hmm thinking about the emotional side of it and and the way that we cope with our life experiences and translating that into storytelling how did your mental health journey impact your approach to storytelling 
Uh, that's a great question. I think it's kind of hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to brag, but I've had like a lot of therapy. Uh, Same. (laughs) I keep, I feel like I've done so much. They should have given me one of those like, like Subway sandwich punch cards and I should just have a bunch of Subway sandwiches by now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or so, free yeah, sessions, so also, honestly. Subway should sponsor this podcast and they should make that part. If you go to therapy, you get like a punch and then you get a Subway sub. Yeah, I just yeah. feel like it's, <laughs> it makes sense to me. It feels like a nice connection. Get to it, Subway. Call if, my not sub, if not Subway, somebody else. Come on, get on exactly. this. Here's an opportunity. Yeah. I don't know. Time to, time to fill in that void. But, Tim Hortons. Uh, exactly. There we go. <laughs> Canadian reference. Well done. Um but uh, yeah, I so I feel like a lot of what helped me in therapy were groups and sharing stories. So at one point I was in Codependence Anonymous uh, and that was also a big part of it was sharing stories all the time. So I feel like in a weird way, it was like I was being slowly positioned more and more to see how storytelling was helping. And once I started sharing my stories, my friendships changed, which helped my mental health because I was just me more and more and more. And so for, I feel like before storytelling, what my mental health journey was, was how do I be normal? And after storytelling, it was, how do I be me? Gosh, I Uh, love that so much. Yeah. It was like a miraculous thing where I suddenly, part of it is, you know, I enjoy attention. So when audiences were like, hooray for your story about you, that was really helpful. But also, I think I'd been so afraid to be me that just saying the things and being like, people are going to think what they're going to think was yeah. like amazing. It's liberating. Yeah, you know? 100%. And, well, so one of the things that I saw that you speak about or potentially you work through this um, as a storytelling coach, you tell me, but mm-hmm. is that um, idea of a imposter syndrome, which I know I'm subject to in... My career in tech, I've felt that way plenty of times, but I think in particular with the podcast, you know, it took me a while to get to a place where I was like, well, why does anybody care what I say? Why does anybody care what I think? And then I go and I listen to other things and I think to myself, well, I'm doing at least that well, if not better, right? Mm -hmm. And so not to be arrogant, but to genuinely understand that this is something I'm passionate about and I'm capable. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to get out of your own way can be one of the hardest things to do on your way Mm -hmm. to really finding yourself. So um, for people who are experiencing that type of doubt, what is, what, I guess, what has your experience been with that? And then also, how do you help people through that? For sure. Well, my experience is I've been able to start calling myself an artist this very year. Uh, And before, yeah, it's been very exciting and very weird because I'm like, why does my stomach not feel weird? Uh, Why do I? Because I before it would be like, oh, well, I mean, I'm kind of blah, 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 blah. I'm sort of. And I had a lot of really wonderful supportive people being like, cut the kind of cut the sort of tell it and telling me like you have helped me with this. You have done this. But to me, I think one of the the things was the more I see that small is important. That has been incredible. Like I'm regularly, I'm so lucky. I have, I have a monthly show here. I get to coach all kinds of amazing people and people where I'm like, 
how are you in my life? Like just people who have incredible stories are wonderful people where it is. There are times where before a meeting, I'm like, okay, just be like a normal human being. They're a person, you're a person. But I'm like, I have, I know who this person is. I've watched their stuff. Like, how am I going to be like a normal person? Um, and basically what I tell myself to, well, skip to the practical for a second too, is as a people pleaser, I'm like, that person will feel more comfortable if I'm talking to them like a person. And then when the call is over, I'm like, ah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Woo. yeah, totally. You're like, they're people too. Just act exactly. normal. It's fine. And also exactly. what is normal anyway? 100%. I don't think there's a normal person out there. Um, yeah, every, everybody, some of the people that I were like, always thought we were like the most normal and together, uh, have sent me very sweet private messages where they're like, I'm really weird. And I, you seem like a nicer version of like, you seem weird. How do you do it without feeling weird? Um, so it's okay to do it while you feel weird. And I think that's yeah, one of the things that I exactly. had to get comfortable with because when I met my wife, mm-hmm. one of the things like we were friends first and one of the things that we both really gravitated towards and we joke about still is that we're the same kind of weird and that mm-hmm. people that we were with before didn't appreciate those elements of our weirdness. They kind of look at you with judgment and like, you're, yeah. a, you're a crazy person. And you're like, yeah, yeah, but I'm okay with that. Cause I'm not yeah. like a mean crazy person or a bad crazy person. Mm-hmm. I'm just like a really random crazy person. And I exactly. feel like appreciate that or don't yeah. bother. I also, I'm very much of the opinion. So I was not saying crazy for a while. Um, and then I realized oh, that's like, oh no, 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 it's, uh, that is not a correction to you. I've realized that I am saying crazy again because we all have different things. And when crazy isn't a negative, because I don't hear you saying it in a negative way, when it's just, yeah, we're all in like a lot of us have various mental health stuff that at one point would have ended up with a very sad life. Yeah. My uncle was put in a in a home for being schizophrenic. I don't know his whole story. Uh, I should say, sorry, maybe I don't know if you do trigger warnings of. Um, I'm if if well, I should do trigger warnings. Apparently, honestly, otherwise every episode would happen at various points. So yeah, people should just assume that the show yeah. is just there's a blanket trigger warning Fantastic. on episodes. Fantastic. Um, I am occasionally uh, too West Toronto gay for my own good. Um, yes, there various people are just like, including friends of mine who are like very not like turf, like yeah, yeah. major lesbians, but they're just like, yeah, if I could, I would live in a world with only women and bays. Um, and like well, just yeah, 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 you know. But like I mean, old, just looking old, at like statistically the reason yes. problems start. There would be some great stuff. There's some dudes I would miss, but mostly I'd be pretty okay. I, I feel like you just like like wrangle them into. Exactly. And also I feel like it could be like, you know, I just like commute in and see them sometimes. It's fine. You know? yeah, yeah, totally. But I feel like collectively you're right. I do think that um, the women in days probably could get a better grip on things. And then we'll invite the the keys exactly. back in when they it. can get it together. Yeah, we could just invite them in. Um, but Exclusive, also- invite only. Exactly. People love that. People love that. Anyways, they feel so special. It'd be great. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyways, I, I do also love that uh, I feel like conservatives are like, this is what the liberals want. And it's like, no, you just keep making us go to this place. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, but I feel like like I have mental health 
different things. It runs in my family. My my uncle, who is schizophrenic, was in a home at one point um, in like various hospitals. And the more we learn about that kind of stuff, I don't know what his life was like. Yeah, probably that's scary. not. Probably not a lot of great things that were happening. Um, but I feel like there's a space for like crazy is just a thing. Like, yeah. can you imagine that? A world where it's like, oh, you hear voices? Like, are they are they saying things that are hurting you? No? Then that's cool. Whatever. Yeah, right. Well, Lots of people hear voices. That's fine. Like, our brains have voices in them. It's just some people hear them. I'm not an expert in this stuff. I've, I've read a lot about it. But, like, they hear them as different voices, like, outside of their own interior monologue. Yeah. But, like, that could be a world that we have mm-hmm. where it is just like, oh, you have borderline personality disorder? What is the best way for you to feel safe? Let's find, like, some constructive... Yeah. It doesn't have to be, like, a, a shameful thing. And so I think that's also the thing is what kept me the sickest was shame. Oh, and man, I totally like, feel yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're only as, we're only as sick as our secrets... And the funny thing is, like, a lot of my secrets were, like, pretty fine. See, like, it wasn't like, you did all these awful things. It was like, you're clearly at least bisexual. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, primary, you know, I, I like dudes sometimes, but mostly I am into non-dudes. Uh, that was very obvious. It wasn't a secret. It was a secret to me. Well, it's the internalized it was, shame, right? It's like yeah. you because we're holding on to that shame, we're feeling like it is so much bigger than it is to having done a lot of therapy as well. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you're very keenly aware of the idea of naming something. And it's like Mm -hmm. the weight that is lifted when you actually call it what it is. I think there is such a power in naming things and also being witness to how change is possible. Because to me, one of the key things about storytelling is change. It is all of us seeing that there is a possibility of change at all times and seeing a real person. Like I love a story from like a celebrity. If like Pedro Pascal showed up and he was like, I have a story. I'd be like, please tell me your story, Pedro Pascal. But like a regular person, I can see myself in them. I can see myself in their struggle. And it lets me know that things are possible in a way that, Uh, in fiction love fiction but that's there is like a a promise that we're making to each other a storytelling audience and a storyteller that I'm going to tell you the truth and I am going to take you along with me you're safe you're here you're seeing the world through my eyes and you're seeing an example of change and that is so beautiful yeah I, I get to see it all the time It's so inspirational to have the opportunity to hear those stories, to help people express those stories. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in the role that I'm in hosting this show, I've had some people say to me, you know, that this is the first place that they shared certain details Mm -hmm. of their story. And gosh, what a beautiful gift to have that. And such a compliment to know that you've provided like a sense of safety for somebody to share that with you. Yeah, 100%. And it's also, that is a gift that you can give to the world. So that's a thing that I will say for a lot of people, a lot of people pleasers, especially if you were assigned female at birth, a lot of us have a lot of, we're supposed to take care of everyone. Mm -hmm. Like I still get the nickname of like comedy mom, storytelling mom. (laughs) Not, Not just because I have so many snacks in my purse at all times. And also I get to talk this way because 
that is another thing that I think I feel like I was starved yeah. to talk like this. I remember being in like camp as a kid and there was one night, it was like a bunch of us counselors and we're up really late and we're all talking about stuff. And I was just like, oh, this is what like being an adult is like. <laughs> I'm going to be real with you. Mm-hmm. I wasn't totally nervous be- mm-hmm. that we hadn't like met yet because I usually do intro calls before I, I do a show. Um, but I had like seen your content, so I wasn't super concerned about it. But it's like, you mm-hmm. just don't know. Until you hop on the mic with somebody what it's going to be like. So I'm feeling really excited about the way this is playing out. (laughs) Yeah, me too. But it is. No, I get you. Like I've had people on shows before where I'm like, we will see what happens. Yeah. (laughs) Um, One of my my writing partners is a uh, uh, Brazilian scientist who I met on Twitter. Um, yes, if this ends up in the, in the podcast, shout out to Pedro, he's already come up in various podcasts, but yes, on Twitter, there was this guy who I think was a friend of a friend and you know how Twitter will like promote stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this guy's really funny. So I added him and he kept doing funny stuff. And then I like Googled his name. I was like, I cannot find any, all I find were science papers. And so I sent him a message. I was like, I think you're really funny. Um, I'm trying to find more of your writing, but all I can find is these science papers in Portuguese. And he's like, well, funny, you should say that. I am the scientist who wrote those uh, papers. Uh, I now live in America. I also write comedy sometimes. And we became very good friends. What a journey. Yes. Partly because he told a story at my show. And so after meeting with him to work on the story and then having him tell the story, I was like, oh, I feel like I really have a good knowledge of what you're like as a person. Yeah. And that's not always true. But most times if you hear at least one or two stories from people, you know, even the stuff that they are do not think they're telling you, that is a thing maybe uh i don't want to scare anyone who's listening um but that is a thing with storytelling stuff that you didn't know was true might come out or certain beliefs and that kind of stuff come out part of the process um yeah there is there there are definitely times where i have seen someone do a story about uh how their relationship isn't working and maybe they're not good at love and then a year later i find them and it was gay they were gay all along that's why (laughs) They come, they come there and they're like, suddenly I feel better. I'm like, yep, I know yeah, what totally. that feels like. Yes, and that is, yes. And it is, it's also interesting to hear then some of those stories that mean something to the person change and evolve over time. Mm-hmm. But it is oh. fascinating the amount of people that I've heard say I'm the equivalent of their stock in maybe in the coaching part when we're coaching and talking about their story, they tell a story and then they kind of make a realization of why they're stuck or what they want to do. There's something very magical about sharing your experience with people. Yeah. And I feel like it's so, it's something that has really been elevated, I think, by certain elements of social media and especially what I find fascinating is I was really anti-TikTok when it first started. I was like, I don't fucking understand this. I'm not cool. I don't get it, whatever. Because I never got on board with Snapchat, didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. And then with TikTok, what I realized is the engagement model is really fascinating. Take the tech side away from Mm -hmm. it, but more like the actual way that people are trying to find community there. And they're Mm -hmm. trying to find community in a different way than they're trying to find, you know, people to follow on Instagram Mm -hmm. or um, people to banter with on Twitter. And 
when you hear people telling their real stories and putting themselves out there, it's not about having the most refined content. It's about having the most real story. And so those can, as you pointed out, those can be funny. Those can be sad. Those can be scary. Mm -hmm. Those can be exciting. And whatever variety of things that people can create around their own narratives and other narratives, it's starting to give people, I think, a chance to really identify, as you're pointing out, parts of themselves that, you know, they, they see a community of people there, they Mm -hmm. see other people expressing these things. And so you don't have to sit there with the internalized shame about it. You don't have Mm -hmm. to sit there and feel like I'm the only person in the world that feels this way or has thought these things or whatever, like Mm -hmm. you are in the presence of so many other people who are seeking the same type of connection to themselves and to each other that you are. And it's just about kind of finding that niche. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you have, you know, there's intersections of those niches as well. And the episode I put out today was about just sort of the concept of identity and intersectionality there. And Mm -hmm. I think the parts of our stories that we get to tell, we can share different parts of ourselves with different people in different environments. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that we're being inauthentic. It just means that we're we're kind of tailoring, you mm-hmm. know, what we want to share with certain people based on a circumstance. And I mm-hmm. find that there's something really valuable about having that sort of control over your narrative too, which mm-hmm. is something I really try to make sure guests know when they come here. It's like, I don't want to tell you how to tell your story. That's the Mm -hmm. whole point of the conversation is for you to tell me who you are. So Mm -hmm. I I really admire the way that you look at the work that you do and the people that you help through that lens. Well, thank you so much. And one of the other things, and I'm glad we're talking about this because I've been thinking about this a lot, is the idea of authenticity and people feeling like you, if you're not being your complete authentic self in all places, that it's a lie or you're not being truthful. The truth is there are many places it is not safe to be your authentic self. And it, it, based on many different identities, like, you know, people know I'm queer. It's pretty clear. Um, But, uh, you know, I'm not going to be the way I am in this conversation with like, certain elderly relatives and 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 it's also and like some of them it's not even that they're hateful it's just it's not gonna be worth it like I will call them on the hateful stuff but uh but like just being my full queer self there I'm gonna get a lot of like blank stares and I'm just I'm not willing to put myself out there in that way and hurt myself when I I can be my full self other places. Yeah. And I think to piggyback on that, the other thing that it makes me think too, is that in some of those situations, you almost feel obligated to have to explain yourself when people don't understand or feel highly critical. And so it's like, I'd rather just not address it than have to explain myself or feel like I owe somebody some part of my story that I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. feel like sharing. And there are plenty of times where I will share it unsolicited and people Mm -hmm. might be like, please stop sharing, but they can set that boundary because I won't. (laughs) (laughs) But, and I think so much, I just, I, I think it's interesting because it kind of goes back to some of the like inner critic, um, and uh, um, I'm sorry, what's the word we're looking for? Not just inner critic, but the the feel of uh, being a- uh, An imposter syndrome. Like imposter, imposter syndrome. syndrome. There we go. You could always edit that so I sound much smarter. But like, I feel like- No, I'm keeping syndrome. that whole part in. Please go for it. <laughs> Honestly, that's the other thing is people like, do you want me to edit this thing? I'm like, 
if someone listens to a very edited version of me and then hears the real me, they're going to be like, why was the other one smarter? Like, just go with what level I'm at. Um, but I feel like there is so I, I was I my, my parents really did the best they could. Uh, especially because there's a lot of trauma in my family, some of which is mine to talk about, some of which is not mine to talk about. But like when I was three years old, my brother died of SIDS. My mom's uh, uh, father died of cancer when she was very young. Like there's a lot of that kind of like death and loss. And and generational trauma. Exactly. And for my parents, like it seems like the thing was, okay, well, you get up and you can't, and you keep going partly because there was no other choice but the work they did gives me those choices it allows me to be more authentically me and so one of the things I think even when there are like certain people who have not been super great happy about the way I express myself um there it is is like I owe the people that came before me who worked so hard I owe that to them in my mind. I owe that to be my authentic self. I So there was there's two things that happened when I was a kid that I think about regularly. It, these are positive ones, by the way. This is the fun part. So uh, I was, I don't know, like 15. And I would be walking back from high school. And there was this woman with these long white braids and like weird clothes. And she would be on her bike. And I remember at first it, I was so mad was so mad at her and I didn't know why but I was so mad and I realized it was because she looked so free and she was an old lady that seemed to be by herself and she seemed so free and it made me furious and when I realized that's what it was hopefully I didn't show on my face but like we started waving to each other and I think about like that's who I want to be I want to end up being that lady yeah and it was yeah, like what a fucking rad lady. I've had those moments too. I totally yeah. relate and to that. And it was when I was, I, I think I was like maybe nine years old, possibly older. I feel like I was on like a class trip or something. We were in uh, the subway and one of the biggest, the most busy subway stations it was full of people. And I look and there's this crowd parts and this old lady wearing a punk jacket with all these spikes just goes walking through, not pays no attention, goes right into the subway and sits down. And I was just like, to be that, like, just does not care at all. Not at all. Of course, this is my space. Move right. out of the way. People were scared. She was like maybe four foot nine this tiny little lady. And like, I think of that all the time. And so to me, the work I do allows myself and other people to have more freedom. And that is so important to me. Like, I love what I do for a lot of reasons, but to me, the core of it is freedom. And that is so powerful to me. And I feel so lucky to have had this calling to be involved with it. Like, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'm like, I like living high. Sometimes I'm like noodles two days in a row. (laughs) Life comes and goes. That's the life of a freelancer. But I get to be part of this. I get to watch people make discoveries about themselves. I get to see someone who was like, I don't know if my story is important. Have people line up to tell them how they thought they were the only one. 
And that is a real magic that I get to be involved with every day, even when it's exhausting, because sometimes it is. Well, yeah. But like, that's what my life is. Yeah, it's so incredible to hear you speak to it that way too, Aaron. And I really appreciate your vulnerability in that also. It's, it's important for people like you to be able to cultivate those relationships and bring people to the place where they're able to explore those parts of themselves and share those parts of themselves in ways that a lot of times we don't even think that we're capable of. We don't even know that we're capable until the words are coming out of our mouth sometimes. I don't know if this yes. is like standard One. therapy for everyone, but like I swear the amount of times I'm in therapy and I'm just like, no, I heard it. I understand yeah. what I'm saying now about myself yeah. and what I what I realize. And I think to put words to the feelings that we have and not just understand them. Like I, I remember this moment so vividly where my therapist explained to me that I was intellectualizing my emotions, not feeling them. Mm. And I've always thought of myself as a really emotionally aware person, emotional mm. person. And she's like, yes, you understand your feelings, mm -hmm. but are you sitting with your feelings? And I'm like, mm -hmm. I already know what they are. What do I need yeah. to sit with them? I for? got an A plus in therapy. Thank you very much. Yeah, totally. I like to tell her I'm winning. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And, you know, it's like part of the storytelling is to sit with it and sit with those parts yeah. of ourselves that we maybe kind of glide past in other moments that we have mm -hmm. or things that come up that we realize we do want to share with people. I find a big part of what has helped, you know, me in really being who I am in addition to the storytelling element of it is taking the opportunities to share with people like their impact on me too. Mm -hmm. And I used to shy away from that because, you know, when we were talking at the beginning of the conversation, it's like, oh, it's kind of weird to just be very open about how you feel about things and and compliment people. It's like, why are you saying things to me? And you're like, well, mm -hmm. because I see it and I feel it. And I don't understand why I wouldn't tell you that. In fact, mm -hmm. more often than not, isn't it going to make somebody's day better? So, yeah, I mean, I feel like we sometimes think that saying something is going to elicit this response that we don't want. But more often than not, I've found that you're better off saying it, you know, mm -hmm. and there are the, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube moments, but if mm -hmm. you're not intentionally being mean or bad or willfully ignorant, like mm -hmm. say the things, say the things yeah. for yourself, say the things for other people, but like be mm -hmm. honest. And like you said, like come to that place where you understand the value of sharing your story because mm -hmm. it helps other people really understand you. And th yeah. through that empathy, a lot of times we learn to understand ourselves more. 100%. So one of the things, and this I, I think really comes back to, for me, the imposter syndrome, is I think sometimes of art that I've seen, like I wander past a bookstore and there's a book that's a dollar. And I was like, well, I'll buy it. It's probably gonna be crappy. It's a dollar. And it like changes my life. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. the best dollar I've ever spent. And the person who wrote that, maybe like the book didn't do that well. They put all this work into it. But there is someone, someone they might never meet whose life was changed from that. Yeah. And so I always say to people, the idea is like, if you feel like an imposter, there is someone out there that needs to hear your story, even if it's you. That's okay. You changing your own life? Like people spend so much money and time trying to change their own life. If you could do that with your story, that's amazing. 
if yeah. you can, and you might, there might be a, someone who comes up to you and tells you how something was important, but I guarantee you whatever kind of art that you do, as long as it is not involved with hate, which I will describe as not being art, as just being uh, creative fucked up in this. Um, yeah, that's uh, really garbage. Why take something beautiful and make it into garbage? But anyways, that aside. If you are making art, you are making the world better in ways you will never understand. Um, and it is like the times I've had a bad day and walked in front of an art gallery and there's been like a piece of art. And I'm now, I, I can't even go, you know, like maybe I'm on vacation. That art gallery is closed. I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm never going to interact with the art in the way that the creator thought I would. But like, whoa. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I feel like you definitely approach life and that have that same type of appreciation that I seek to have when I'm in those moments and seeing, you know, the effort that people have put into the things that they're creating. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think the other thing when it comes to storytelling that has really resurfaced in a an amazing way with mm -hmm. social media, in particular, I feel like Instagram propelled this as poetry too, is these very short form poems. Mm -hmm. Like I used to love writing poetry and thought nobody's going to want to yeah. pay attention to this. Who the fuck reads poetry anymore? And then it's yeah. like everybody, because they're yeah. reading them like they're memes. Exactly. Lots of people, lots of people. And you know? I, I've been lucky enough. I've worked with some incredible poets and let me tell you, Oh boy, some of the best stories I've ever heard because it's not one word wasted. No, uh, poets no. know how to make you feel everything with three words in a way that I never will be able to, but man, do I ever admire it. It's yeah, just incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I love the way that you said that too. So as we're rounding out the episode here, I feel like this is just such a great conversation, Erin. I'm so glad that we've been able to chat about this. Um, Thank you. This has been wonderful. I... When I was reading the questions that you're always ready to answer, and I thought, mm. did I write this? <laughs> How do you manage to be so funny, relatable, incredibly gorgeous, and know so much about the music of Billy Joel? <laughs> <laughs> well, the last thing, the last thing I could say, because I've studied Billy Joel, uh, I, I almost had a, I almost have a tattoo. I'm going to get it eventually. Of what? Of, Don't tell uh, me Billy Joel's uh, face because that's really just I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to suggest yeah. that you. That is what people have suggested. Originally, I was gonna have so he did like a, some classical music and it was words and music by Billy Joel and it was beautiful and stylized. Mm -hmm. And I was gonna have that as a lower back tattoo because it made me laugh more than anything. Um, and I genuinely love Billy Joel. I oh, so do I. No, well, it's yeah. funny. So I read case this. anyone's listening and thinking I'm making fun of, perhaps William Joel himself might be listening. I love Billy you. Joel, you're if you're welcome. listening, I would love to have you as a guest um, yes. because you You'd are be a amazing. master storyteller. You are yes. a master storyteller. I was actually yeah. listening to some of his songs recently and yeah. I hadn't listened in a while, but Billy Joel holds a very special place in my heart. My family, my parents, um, their, their song, their official wedding song for the purposes of their parents was just the way you are. But their unofficial wedding song, which is the song that they both think of for each other, is only the good die young. And yes. so- I grew up on Billy Joel and yes. I started listening to a ton of stuff recently again and just kind of revisiting things that I used to listen to on cassette tape or when I would steal my parents CDs and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And um, I just was sitting there thinking, gosh, like he just really 
he captures the essence in the songs, right? And so when I saw this on your page, I just thought, that's so funny that like, I probably, I even said to my wife, I was like, I I haven't listened to Billy Joel in ages, like just Mm -hmm. like really dove in and listened to only his stuff. And like last week or the week before. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, (laughs) I'm just going to do it. And so when I saw that, I was like, this is such perfect timing for this conversation. I feel like this was meant to be. Um, I'm so. so excited. And also his earlier stuff when he had like a metal band, when did he have a metal band? He had a metal band uh, or sort of like a, I don't know if I would even describe it as a metal band. He had like a stoner rock acid band. Kind well, of I thing. believe that. Yes. Um, I can't remember the name of it, um, but I will send it and I'll in the program notes. I can give you the, the links to it, but it's great. Um, but yeah, so I'm a big fan of Billy Joel. Love, I love his songs. Partly, I think I love his songs. I love his lyrics. And I partly love him so much because people are so uh, mad at Billy Joel. Like What's they're just like, ah. mad at Billy Joel. I think people Do are mad at Billy him? Joel, not like for him being a bad person. I mean, people are just like, oh, I'm Billy like, I can't Joel. deal with another one. Come on. No. no, as far as I know, we don't have anything. He had some drinking and driving problems and he's got that under control. But no, it was uh, because of the popularity of Piano Man. People are like, boo, Billy Joel. Well, if all you're listening to is Piano Man, like get your get your life in order and listen exactly. to some of his other stuff. Agreed. Agreed. We're going to have a new podcast called Get Your Life Together and Love Billy Joel. <laughs> and then we just we just critique people. We're like, how dare you yeah whatever yes and then we just get like i i think it would be very funny because we could get like a bunch of kind of manly men and i think a bunch of them like i picture like rob helford and i think he'd be like actually i quite like billy joel i like his lyrics very different than the music i do but like (laughs) i just think it would be very funny to have a bunch of like really tough people be like no actually i quite like billy joel (laughs) amazing but i actually did uh uh, on the the lead up to my 40th birthday in case you're wondering if i'm wacky because it hasn't come through yet huh here we go so the lead up to my 40th birthday i was like i don't know what to do it's the covid lockdown um i can't like have a big party or whatever I'm like well what i'll do is i'll take the names of 30 billy joel songs and then i will do a story based on the title and i was like People were like, oh, well, why Billy Joel? I'm like, first of all, how dare you? And second of all, because he has so many songs. He has like a bazillion songs. And also, so you took the names of the titles and created a story yeah. based on the titles. Exactly. Oh my God. Well, uh, that's honestly like the perfect artist to do that for. It was. It was really great. So it was, some of them were, you know, brand new stories I'd never told before because it's great when you give yourself a random prompt because yeah. all kinds of stuff will bubble up to the surface and then there were other ones and they were also all like really short stories they were 99 seconds I think um and so it was such a good thing and it was one I had to do it every day because I promised two it was working on doing shorter stories and three it was just ridiculous so um I, sometimes yeah. I think the ridiculousness is the entire reason to do it Exactly. 100%. 100%. I am um, also, as my my current pet project is I'm writing a book on the movie Johnny Mnemonic. Perfect. It's so weird. And I'm having so much fun. The more I read about it, the more I'm fascinated by it. And it's like, it's like every weird kid you went to high school, they hired them and put them in a movie. Like it does not make any sense. It's great. Um, but anyways, uh, so the Billy Joel thing, the idea was I was going to get a tattoo 
after I did it. And then I was too, I was too anxious to get a tattoo on my back. And so I've gotten tattooed, like I've gotten two tattoos since, and I still haven't gotten my Billy Joel tattoo. So I think this summer I have to change that. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to need to know when that happens. Of Please course. confirm. Of course. Obviously. Well, um, yeah. Everyone is going to, people are going to be like, yes, we know you got the Billy Joel. Tattoo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're welcome. Yes. Internet. Yeah, exactly. You're welcome, Billy Joel. He's like, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> exactly. He writes a whole like concept album. Yeah, that might be the one way, you know, where you're like, always tell the thing. I will say, uh, if and when I meet Billy Joel, I'll just make sure that my first thing isn't, I have a tattoo of you. Yes. <laughs> like lead into that. Just be like, I really enjoy your work. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Vienna is a wonderful song. Oh, look at canopy i have a tattoo of you and then run away you know like just <laughs> yeah yeah great just to just slide it in there very casually exactly so cash so cash um uh, as we learned, i'm very good at being cash so it's gonna go great well like you said you just have to pretend you're gonna be normal because they're pretending to be normal and then eventually it will all realize we're weird exactly and then the three of us you myself and billy joel will have a, an award-winning podcast i love everything Honestly, about what just happened yeah, here's the thing. Like, I kind of read the secret, so I'm pretty sure that we could just make that happen by believing it. Yeah, 100%. I'm I'm really into manifestation right now. So, yeah, Billy Joel. that is great. I love the way my brain is. But with ADHD, that is one of the many books that I read part of. So, But I think it might be a book to just read part of it and be like, yes, I could just say, Nikki, myself, and Billy Joel are going to have a podcast that's going to happen. Well, yeah, and also, um, Nicole and I already started writing a... Um, we we have this idea, my wife, uh, to have a variety of songs that will be parodies of other songs. And the mm -hmm. first one we started with was a little bleak, but kind of funny. We didn't start yes. the fire going back and looking at everything that happened in 2020. Yes. And then we stopped. But we spent yes. a whole day crafting it yes. as if we were going to do something with it. And so that there's a delightful. lot of lyrics written. <laughs> that is delightful. So I'm just being a little paranoid for it. Is your wife's name Nicole? Okay, so yeah, I said that's what okay, I said. Okay, cool. I, no, 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 that so, is I said, fine. I was I, just I, like, oh I my god, is her name been Nicole the whole time? And I've been calling her Nikki like an asshole. No, so we um we actually are both Nicole Marie, and so thankfully oh, I go so by Nikki and she goes please. by Nicole. And so we actually yeah. have like a, I think my hat's on right now. My hair's yeah. a little funky, but we have yeah. um a a brand that we're working on, Nick mm -hmm. and Nick. Oh, I love it. I love it. And listen, if you want to get monogrammed towels, so much easier. <laughs> right. Half the price. Well, we had this we had this um news outlet reach out to us and be like, you guys have the same name. Let us interview you. And we're like, our our story's so much more interesting than the fact that we have the same yes. name. We met during COVID. The borders were closed. My mom had yeah. just died. I'd left this marriage. We met as friends. We had to wait two months to see each other. Look at all this stuff that happened. And they're like, you have the same name. And <laughs> like, I fucking can't believe this. And then they're like, we put it out to all these outlets. If anybody wants your story, like you'll get paid. I'm like, this is the stupidest fucking story. There is no story to be had. We can't That's take the same last name that's it because we're a cross-border couple and can you yeah. imagine what the border would be like having yes. the exact same fucking name oh my goodness that's so funny that is very very funny but it is also hilarious that you have this whole thing they're like same name <laughs> and also i am of the opinion and you know this comes from very much from being a storytelling coach but like weird experiences are always so much fun oh like, yeah i love i'm a mascot sometimes uh just because it's the most yeah it's the most fun for what uh various i work for a company so i've done various brands um 
and I don't, yeah, I think I'm allowed to t- say whoever, but I've been like, I've been uh, Bart Simpson. Uh, I have been uh, a Banks bear mascot. I've been all kinds of stuff. And you get to be like a mini celebrity for a brief amount of time. Like people are so excited to see you. And then you just get to live your life. I've had amazing experiences. Like there was, I was uh, Mr. Peanut in a Santa Claus parade. And there was, and like kids were so excited. They're all trying to get you to dab, which is very difficult. You had the monocle, right? I, oh, I had the monocle. Oh, of course I did. I also had festive tinsel. I was looking great. Um, You're my kind of people, Aaron. Exactly. Oh, right back at you. But I was, I was walking along and I hear, and you're like high-fiving kids. And I hear this little voice go, hi, Mr. Peanut. And all of the like adults around this kid start crying. And they're like, Jordan doesn't talk. Jordan doesn't talk. Jordan, you talk. They were all so excited. And then I'm like, go, I have to keep going in the parade, like crying. I was going to say you were crying, right? I would be crying. It was so beautiful. And it is, you know, like I, I haven't been diagnosed, but I am definitely on the autism spectrum and talking can be complicated. Not everyone can, not everyone wants to. But the fact that there was just this moment with this family, I was just like, oh, like this is what I get to see. It's amazing. These tiny little moments like I it's like living in like seeing tiny films all the time yeah well I really think it's so beautiful too the way that you have an appreciation for those small moments I think going through some really intense experiences in my life has Mm -hmm. has shed light on how important that is Mm -hmm. and getting to a place where you can kind of get out of your own head I used to exist a lot in a space of the anxiety of what was and the shame associated with that and the anxiety of what could be and like what's going to happen and once you kind of allow yourself to be present and I used to think that was bullshit too like I was like what the fuck does that even mean be present you know and now I'm like oh no I get it it, it's those moments it's seeing people where you are when you're with them being able to really just imbibe the moments that are that are coming to you and not feel like you have to have an expectation around anything but being able to just appreciate things for what they are and Mm -hmm. not trying to make them something they're not exactly and I think there's a real practice that you can do and it is it's like it's my journaling it's the story to like both my own storytelling work and coaching especially um the collections i'm i'm part of uh i co-founded a collective and we put out storytelling anthologies um and i will hope hopefully you'll put be able to put it in your show notes the information about it because any of your listeners we would love to hear your stories and we're accepting uh even if you've never told a story before even if you're terrified by it especially if you're terrified by it we want to hear your stories um and the theme is moment of clarity this time so i feel like that's a real juicy one yeah definitely Yeah, but it is between my own work and working with other people, you just really see how important tiny moments are. And in our lives, like moments between people that you are easy to forget. Well, and people you may not even know, right? Exactly. No, but have a profound Mm -hmm. impact on you. Like there was, I worked briefly when I was in high school with this um, elderly I don't know what they're called. They're not called nursing homes anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, elderly care, I guess. Yeah, home. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Whatever the appropriate term, assisted living mm-hmm. um, for that is. And this woman, Ella Stevens, um, mm-hmm. she, I 
was outside one day waiting for my mom to pick me up and she was sitting there and she was telling me how she liked to look at the flowers and Mm -hmm. um she used to garden a lot when she was at her home and then I found out that she had actually gone to the high school that I went to when it was like the much smaller version like Mm -hmm. many moons prior Mm -hmm. and so I actually went to my high school library archives and like looked up the pictures and like photocopied them for her at the time and then um and like planted some flowers for her and gave them to her um, you know, because I, I didn't know if she had family, you know, yeah. but I, I knew enough about her to be able to mm-hmm. feel like, okay, I can do something for this person. And it's like, that moment stays in my mind, because mm-hmm. it was one of those things where it's like, I did it because it felt good mm-hmm. to do something for somebody else. But I valued the fact that I was able to have that experience with this person, mm-hmm. regardless of what it meant to them. You hope that it it's significant for other people, obviously. But just knowing that if my mom had been there sooner, I wouldn't have sat down next to this woman and had that conversation. And mm-hmm. 20 years later, I'm sitting here thinking about it, you know, and I, I think yeah. there's something really magical about the fact that you have these little just pockets of joy and gratitude that come into your life when you sometimes need it the most and don't understand the impact it'll mm-hmm. have until it's like so much later. Yeah. And I also feel like life's tough. Like I'm in a really good place now. I feel really lucky, but I've been in spots where I was just like, I don't know how to deal with this. I've never uh, been in a place of uh, suicidal ideation, but I've definitely been in places where I'm just like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, like you can't fucking take it anymore. Yeah, which I feel like I'm, I'm surprised there's not more horror movies where it's just like, I have no direction. Like that's... That's it's just, me. I would that's because like it's real life. Nobody wants to watch that shit, Eric. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. 100 percent But um I've been in like some weird places and weird uh spots in my life. And I feel like being able to see small moments of wonder and beauty uh helped so much and were so helpful. And just also just things where stuff is so absurd, you have to laugh. Like, I feel like one of the greatest gifts I had was a got was a great sense of humor because it is just sometimes like there was a person who there was like an ongoing, like weird experience where they we were having maybe an emotionally emotional affair. And it was this whole thing. And like it was unclear. And I didn't realize this person was like married and blah, blah, blah. And so I saw them and I, I basically like ran out of the place. Like I hopefully they did not see me, but I like tried to sneak out. And I was trying to avoid them. And then, of course, on my way uh, out, like, of the door, finally, I slammed right into them. And it was just like, of course, this is happening. And I laughed harder than I've laughed at anything because I was, like, doing everything I could to avoid this person. Um, And, like, just that laugh at that time, because it was a really rough time, was Honestly, like I think about that laugh sometimes because I fell on the floor. I laughed so hard. Well, the levity is what gets us through those hard situations. I learned that my best friend and I have gone through a lot sort of in these weird pockets of simultaneously or one of us is just slightly ahead of the other one. And then something else happens and you're like, you're having these calls where you're just like, my life is fucking exploding right now. Like, what do I do? And we still laugh on those calls, you know, not every single one, I'm sure, but Mm -hmm. most of them, you know, there's still some element of levity that grounds you 
And I have to say, I give credit to my mom for that because she was always like, you know, you have to be able to laugh at yourself. You have to, because if we take ourselves too seriously, we also get mired down in all the things that don't really matter. I think taking a step back and being able to laugh at yourself and be able to laugh with other people about Mm -hmm. things that happen, it just gives us a chance to feel that light that we sometimes lose when we're Mm -hmm. shrouded in these moments of disorientation or the lack of clarity. And sometimes I find that the laughter is what can bring you to the next level of healing. For sure. For sure. And yeah. And also it's just like at a certain point, you can only be so miserable. Well, I shouldn't say for everyone, but like I get to a point where I was like, I got to do something like And it is when people are in a really rough place. I hate when people are just like, why don't you just take a walk and have a laugh? Like, well, only someone had said that. Thank you for curing everything. Truly a genius. But I will say the journaling I do in the daily, like memories of bits of story and that sort of thing, which is a thing I do. I have at the beginning of the day, I do my like morning pages. And at the end, I like to keep track of things that have happened. And it's nice. And I also have a compliments book, which I highly recommend. Have a book of anytime someone said something nice, when you're having a rough time, you look at that compliments book because let me tell you, it will help a lot. I love that so much. Yeah, it's so great. But like these tiny moments, I don't even know. They're like a, a minor miracle sometimes. I can't remember the name of the comedian right now. He had a special, Neil Brennan, I think. I had a special called Three Microphones. And at the end, he was talking about comedy and for him, because he has such severe depression, like jokes are like a a little air bubble oxygen when he feels like he's drowning. And I feel like for me, that is storytelling. That is comedy. uh, That is jokes. That is someone knowing you so well that they're like, only fucking you, man. Yeah, yeah, totally. Only happened to you. All of those things are are so magical. It, it's coming up to what we we're talking about. Uh, I have this little story that happened to me that I think about regularly um, because I think if you start to look for these moments, whatever your belief system is, there there's these moments where something, whether it's friendship, whether it's the universe, whether it's God, whether it's like a really cool dog that's in charge, whatever it is, all coincidence, I don't care. If it's like maybe all of this has no meaning except for the meaning we give it, whatever it is. But it was several years ago, uh, I was at a friend's house and we had been like hanging out and talking and his parents come over and his dad uh, has Alzheimer's and he's pretty far along. So he mostly can't talk and he mostly like can't tie his shoes. And he was this man who was like, He was the head of the household. He was an engineer. He'd moved to another country. He'd done all these amazing things. He was just always this person that like just seemed to know everything and could do anything. And you could see as, as he walked in the door, there was just a little bit of sadness in his eyes to just see that his dad had deteriorated even a little bit more. And so my friend went out to like get a cigarette and just take a little bit of a break. And his mom was saying, you know, when he was a little boy, he didn't know what he wanted to be. He wanted to be this. He wanted to be that. He wanted to be uh, an engineer or a garbage man. And my friend's dad suddenly just like a, almost appears out of nowhere. Like his head comes up. He makes direct eye contact with me and he goes, and now he's a comedian. So he's kind of an engineer and a garbage man. And then he just disappeared. And he was gone. 
and he was back to a man who couldn't tie his shoes anymore. But it was just that moment, like I told my friend about it where I was just like, oh, this is why. Being able to record these moments, these human moments, uh, to be able to share that every time I share that story with people, because people, a lot of people are really struggling with members of their family where like dementia has taken them or something has taken them. And I've had people be like, maybe he's not gone. Yeah. And so that those kind of stories, because it is sometimes people like they're they don't want to tell a story to someone who's going through a difficult thing, specifically that thing. And it's one of those ones that I don't always tell to people. It's like I check in with them, especially if they have someone in their family with dementia. But usually it's one where people are like, thank you, because yeah. like I feel so tired and I feel so frustrated and I don't know what to do. And just that moment that he he was there was magic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What an incredible experience to be able to have, too. And yeah. man, what an A-game way to come back to it, huh? Right. He really was right? like, I'm crushing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, like, my friend is a very funny comedian, a very funny comedian. But, like, that's the best timing of all. Oh, a thousand you percent. Can never beat that. No, no, you can't. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. He's like, I have one moment right now and I'm taking it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it is. I When I tell the story, I usually say I don't know what my belief system is, but I believe in the power of a perfect one-liner. And it was. And that was, like, a moment where I was like, I don't know what my belief system is anymore. Like, it's just so wild to see these things. But it is, I feel like one of the things to kind of bring back to some of the other stuff we've talked about, one of the things that helps when I'm at the hardest times of my life is I feel like I have this like little bag of treasures of experiences that I have that some are written down, some are, you know, just things I've said, some of them are on the internet, various things, but they just give me comfort. And I know yeah. they give other people comfort as well. And um, I, uh, I can't, I think, I can't remember who said this, but I heard someone say that the, the greatest gift that we can give each other as people is uh, to inspire each other. And I think that's what storytelling does. Absolutely. What a beautiful way to close out this episode, Aaron. I, I feel so lucky to have had the chance to share the mic with you, to have oh, heard ditto. your journey and just to be able to relate to a fellow storyteller, you know, um, mm -hmm. having the sentiment shared with somebody in such a visceral way is really unique and empowering. So thank you for sharing yourself so fully and so authentically and, you know, bringing your sense of humor because it really... It's so nice to be able to, you know, come out of kind of a long day of work and and hop on the mic and have somebody who's not only engaging, but also uplifting as part well, of the conversation. You. Yeah, thank you. Oh, so much. I really appreciate it. I would like to say one thing before we go. First of all, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. But the one thing that I want to say before we go is for someone out there, maybe more than someone, heck, maybe you yourself, Nikki, there is a voice going. She says anyone can tell a story. She says storytelling is important. That is true for everyone but me. I don't have anything interesting to say. I don't know how to write. I don't know, etc. People have given me permission to be myself, to be creative, to do this. Let me pass that on. You have permission. 
You don't have to do it perfectly. You don't have to be like, this is the greatest thing I've ever written. All you have to do is share yourself creatively. It does not, you don't owe your story to anyone. No one ever has to see it, but give yourself the gift of writing or working with your stories and see what it does for your life. And then maybe be in my one of my storytelling collections. I love it. And thank you so much. I will absolutely heed that advice for myself. And hopefully listeners can also really benefit from that beautiful sentiment and truth, that absolute truth. So you can find Aaron's website at storystarcoaching.com, correct? Mm. And on social media, are you looking for people to follow you there? I would love that. Perfect. Okay. Where can they follow you? So you can follow me on Instagram at Aaron. Uh, E-R-I-N underscore Rogers, R-O-D-G-E-R-S underscore Story Pro, because my name uh, can be spelled many different ways and is also the same name as a famous football player. On Twitter, I'm at Aaron M. Rogers. So that's E-R-I-N-M-R-O-D-G-E-R-S. Uh, I post a lot of silly jokes and sometimes stuff about Billy Joel. Perfect. I can't wait for Billy Joel to be on this podcast with us. Oh, yeah. I've already, you mean this Joel cast with us? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100%. That's what I mean. Well, gang, that's all for this episode of Who the Fuck. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Yay. Thanks for listening to Who the Fuck. And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to check out more content. Plus, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at whothefck underscore pod to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Catch you on the flip side. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electricast podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast.